Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn to Amos chapter 1. I want to remind you, this is going to be a fairly brief, about eight more studies here in this book. We'll take about a chapter a night. Um, But a very impactful book, and it's impactful for this reason. Whatever God has said uh, that is with regard to his character, the way the world works, those types of things, these things must always be true if the Bible says them. And we're going to see in verse 3, a phrase that you should be very, very, very careful about using in your daily life. And that is, thus says the Lord. Here's the reason why. Because the moment you say, thus says the Lord, if what you say is not always true, then you just became a false prophet and we're going to stone you. You don't want that, right? No, we're not going to stone you. But the, the truth of the matter is, What God says to be true, if it is thus says the Lord, then it must always be true. If the Lord says something, it can't be true one day and not true the next. And so this phrase that we see here in chapter 1, regarding the nations that surround Israel, Those implacable enemies that to this day are still the enemies of the Jewish people. If God says that they are in fact going to be your adversaries, um, they're going to be the adversaries of the Jewish people. The reason this is also important is this. Amos is a prophet that takes a look at the world that's around him and decides in his heart of hearts in his soul, if you will, um, that he is not going to follow after the world. He is going to follow the Lord no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And this is a message that I believe the church needs to hear today. We have to follow the Lord no matter what the cost. No matter what is going on in our world, if the Lord has spoken to an issue, then his word is the final word. In other words, thus says the Lord is the trump card to everything. It's the final word. It's how a Christian should live our lives. It's what we should do as we approach all things in the world. And so we're going to see tonight here in chapter one, uh, this prophet, prophet that Kind of lives in the sticks, you know. He's you, you might be able to say in a vernacular, Amos was kind of a hillbilly. You know, he lived out in the middle of nowhere. And, and yet at the same time, he was in tune with his culture. He understood fully what was going on in the world around him. He, he could look to the north, south, east, or west, and he would know what was going on in his world and knew exactly what God wanted him to do as he viewed the world around him. And I pray that we can glean from this tonight. Would you join me? Let's pray. And we'll pick up here actually in verse 3 as we study this incredible book. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you uh, 
uh, for this man who lived in Tekoa, who was a shepherd, uh, a rancher, a farmer, Lord, a man who collected sycamore fruit, but he was also a man who was in tune with your will in this world. And Lord, we need that today. We, we need to be in tune with what you want to do, what your kingdom uh, wants to accomplish, what you want to accomplish in this world to bring forth your kingdom. And so God, we pray that you'd speak to us, use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So thus says the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me in the world that we live in, one of the great arguments that you hear today in in the court of public opinion, which is the court that we hear about the most frequently, is that we who hold Christian values ought to kind of relax a little bit. We we maybe ought to give up on, on issues like abortion or gay marriage or those types of things where God has clearly spoken. We ought to just simply back off of that narrative and really kind of give in to the way the world now functions. Maybe we ought to, you know, just kind of look at the world a little differently. Maybe look at being, you know, a little bit intoxicated is not that bad or Perhaps living a party lifestyle is something that really, you know, everybody does occasionally. So why don't we just get over ourselves and even further into a deeper level that when you see that little bumper sticker, and probably most of you have seen it, and it says coexist, and it's made out of the various symbols uh, of the world's religions. There, There is a Jewish star of David on there. There's a cross on there. There's the sickle of Islam. And really what it's saying is all roads lead to heaven. That we all are following after really the same God. We're just on different paths to get there. The Bible doesn't paint that picture. It didn't paint that picture in the Old Testament. And it surely doesn't paint that picture in the New Testament. The Bible paints the picture of one God. In the Old Testament he was known as Yahweh. Or Elohim. He was the creator and he was the one true God. He existed in three persons. In the New Testament, we find that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Still one God, three persons. And that one God declared of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And so the Bible doesn't paint this picture of every road leading to heaven. And all things being okay with God. It paints the picture of a common humanity, a common problem. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And one solution, God's own son, Jesus. And so here, Amos begins to put forth this thing that I think we can glean from. And that is, we need to be very careful how attached we are to this world. Actually, John said it this way in 1 John chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, you're probably going, well, you know, I can't love Chick-fil-A or what? You know, what what can't I love? No, it's talking about the world system. It's talking about the things that the world holds dear. In fact, it's talking about the things that the world would exalt over Jesus and make a primary issue instead of God being the primary issue. 
Don't love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's of the world, the lust of the flesh. In other words, the things that your flesh desires. Now, there's a lot of things your flesh desires that are not necessarily inherently evil. I'm sure most of you enjoy a good meal. You probably love to look at the sunset. Your eyes see things and it's like, wow, that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the picture here is anything that supplants God for who he really is becomes a problem. In other words, your flesh can become God. The lust of your eyes. The things that you might desire, in other words. They might not even be things that you can see, but they could be things that you would still desire. Those things could be parts of of who you are as a human being. And they might inherently be good in the right context, but when they begin to replace God, they become bad. They're part of the world system then. And the pride of life, that's our self-achievement. That's the things where we put ourselves ahead of God. In other words, like, God, I really, you know, want salvation. I I would really desire to go to heaven, but I kind of want to be the king of my own kingdom. And so John states it. He says, for this is not of the Father, but is of the world. But the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And this becomes the issue with Amos. Are we going to listen to what the Lord says and then be doers of the word? Are we actually going to live lives that are substantively focused on God in such a way that it creates action on our part? Here's the problem with a lot of Christians. They can actually quote the Bible to you. They know what it says. They even understand what's required, but they refuse to do it. They won't be doers. They simply want to make their own rules as they go. This was a problem then, and it's a problem now. We are supposed to play by God's rules. When we know what he wants, when we know what he says... When he has instructed us, it is thereby incumbent upon us to then act on that information because it came from, thus says the Lord. The Bible, in essence, is a manual given to us that we would know the character of God, the creation of God, the narrative of God, the things that God wants us to know about himself, about his character. And when we read it, in those parts that are applicable to our lives, because you know all the history of Israel is not necessarily applicable to you today or to me today. Not every piece of poetry in the Bible is directly applicable to you today. It could be poetic, but where God speaks about his character and his nature, the actions he wishes us to undertake, the lives he wants us to live, these things are, thus says the Lord. Their instruction to us. And so seeing that in the world that he lived in, Amos now begins to look at the world around him. And he begins uh, with what we would call modern day Syria, the city of Damascus. Notice verse 3, for thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not turn away its punishment, 
because they have threshed in Gilead with implements of iron. And I will send fire to the house of Hazel, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. And I will break the gate bar of Damascus. In other words, that would be like our lock. The bar that was on the gate was in essence the lock that kept the gate closed. And cut off the inhabitant of the valley of Avon. And the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden, the people of Syria shall go captive to Kerr, says the Lord. Uh, why, would, why would Amos, this prophet from the sticks, this guy who lives in the middle of nowhere, actually quite a ways from Syria, probably 50, 60 miles at the very closest, why would he be concerned? Here's the reason why. God had told the children of Israel throughout their time in the promised land, there were certain nations that were not good for them. There were certain peoples that they should at all costs avoid. Not because of anything that God was incapable of doing. God could save them and wants to. God could change them and wants to. But they really didn't want what God wanted. And so God instructed the Jewish people, and you can find this in the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel. This is really a history lesson about the Jewish people. So these double books, which you have three of them in your Bible, as you read these, you're reading the history of the Jewish people. And you're going to see some very common names that come up over and over and over and over again. And it begins the moment the Jewish people enter into the promised land. They come into Canaan. God has said, this is your land. I've given it to you as a perpetual inheritance. I want you in obedience to possess it. But here's some rules. Here's some guidelines. Don't follow after the gods of the Canaanites. Don't live as they live. Don't intermarry with them because the moment you do, here's the problem. And this is not against interracial marriage. This is against sin. That's why the Apostle Paul would say, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. In a very same way, the Jewish people were called out. Look, you're my people. Don't go do these things because you're going to pollute yourself with their sin. And when you do that, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to run into all kinds of problems. Church. Family, brothers and sisters, when you hang out with the devil, you are going to get dirty. You're going to run into problems. That doesn't mean that you can't have non-Christian friends. In fact, I encourage you, have non-Christian friends. But you need to make sure that they know who you are. For them, you should be able to say, thus says the Lord, I will not do that. I won't engage in those things. I will not be as you are. I will not love this world. I'm going to stand for Christ at all costs. And so here we have this nation. And Adad was a Syrian king who fought against King David. And so this goes back a long ways. These people were the perpetual enemies of the Jewish people. And so they became sun worshipers. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to be out in the sun. If you look at my skin now, you can tell I love to be out in the sun. 
because almost every inch of my body now has moles and freckles and things that the doctors want to cut off because I was a sun worshiper. But here's the problem. During this time, they were literally worshiping the sun. This crossed over from the Egyptians, the sun god Ra. And so here you have these people that live in this land that literally worshiped the sun. God says, well, I don't want you to worship them. I, want you, I don't want you to worship the sun. I want you to worship me. And so he basically says, don't do what they do. This is a challenge to us. Why? Because we live in a world that tries to get our attention constantly, frequently, all day, every day. Now I'm going to tell you a little secret. Some of you probably already know it. But have you ever noticed on your Instagram feed, the moment you click on something the following day, you get ads for whatever that was? The same thing happens on Facebook. The same thing happens on your internet browser. All of a sudden, here's these little ads that pop up. I made the mistake of looking for a new wallet. Now, wallets to guys are just like purses to women. They are very, very specific. I happen to like a very nice bifold, but it has to have the right amount of windows in it because I don't want it too thick. Um, I knew a guy that had a wallet that was so thick that he walked with a limp from sitting on that wallet all the time. It was bad. And so I, I made the mistake of clicking. I now get like 150 offers for wallets every day. And I have no idea how to stop the wallet encroachment into my life. Why is this important? Because if that had been something a whole lot worse than a wallet, that's what you're going to get. The devil is going to send you the things that you click on. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you go fishing in the sewer, you are going to catch what you get in the sewer. The devil's going to send you that stuff. That's what the Jewish people did with Syria. They clicked on, they liked, they gave it a heart, a smiley face, and they gave it clapping hands. And God said, you don't want to do that. They do not love you. They do not care for you. Syria is your mortal enemy. They actually want to kill you. They're being used of the enemy. Now look, let me be really careful here. God loves all people, including Arabs of Palestinian descent, of Syrian descent, of Lebanese descent, of Egyptian descent. God loves everyone and he wants all men to be saved. So this is not a let's bash Syria thing. This is not a let's bash Lebanon thing. This is not every Egyptian is bad. Matter of fact, a vast majority of Egypt used to be Christian. They were called Coptics. There was a huge population of Christians in Lebanon, the Marianites. So this is not about any particular race being you know, doomed to be uh, anti-Christ. But this is saying, when God warns us, he warns us for a reason. 
And we need to pay careful attention. The Jewish people were warned. Hazel was the king of Damascus. And during the days of Jehu and Johaz, which is in 2 Kings 10, Hazel, which is the king of Syria, came and, and tore apart and mangled the bodies of the Israelites. Everyone that fell into his hand, he, he murdered them and stole their children. In essence, Amos was saying, you want to be really careful. These people mean you harm. You see that man that's talking to you at the office and knows you're married? That woman who's talking to you at the office and knows you're married was not sent there by someone with good intent. The intent is they're trying to draw you away from your spouse. And you need to pay very careful attention when God says, this is who you are in Christ, this is dangerous, make sure that you're not bowing down to King Hazel. He's warned you. And in a very similar way, the Jewish people were warned about Syria. Now you're probably saying, well, what does that have to do with us? It has a lot to do with us because modern day Syria, the Damascus, uh, Damascus is the capital, is about 65 miles from the border of Israel. It's very close. And in fact, on a good clear night, you can actually see the glow of Damascus from the Golan Heights. If, if you happen to be up in the northern part of Israel and you're looking at Mount Hermon and you're looking down the, the, the valley ridge, it, you're, you're almost in Syria. In fact, when we travel there, we actually go through a little series of roads that actually crosses over kind of around the border. The border is so fluid in that northern northeastern corner uh, that from time to time you pass into Syria. Probably most of you are very familiar with what the world calls the occupied territories. Those are parts of the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the world has deemed Israel should give over to this perceived Palestinian people. We'll get into that a little bit more. But here's the problem. God gave the land to Israel. He said, this is your land. Go in and possess it. But here's what Israel did. They tried to keep the enemies in the land that God warned them about. And those enemies throughout history have remained. They are now surrounded by those enemies. They actually have those enemies dwelling inside of their own borders now. In what's called the West Bank. In what is called the Golan Heights and the Gaza Strip. Those are areas where the Jewish people have tried to, time and time and time and time again, to make nice with the likes of the Edomites, the Amorites, the Philistines. And that's the people that Amos is now going to warn them about. When you travel into that region, specifically the Golan Heights, during the 1973 Yom Kippur War, Probably most of you don't know this. Some of you may. The third largest tank battle, tank engagement ever in the history of the world. Battle of the Bulges, number one. Al Alamein with General Erwin Rommel in the desert of North Africa, number two. And Oz 77, 
which is a giant tank battle in the Golan Heights in 1973. The reason that's important, that's Syria. It's right on the edge. This is the remnant of this very king that they've just been warned about. Be very careful because these people mean you harm. By the time this battle starts, uh, it begins with around 500 Syrian tanks and 11 Israeli tanks. Not only are they outgunned, the Syrian tanks, which are Russian-made, T-55s, T-62s, state-of-the-art technology at the time, actually had night vision. The Israeli tanks do not have night vision. But God, in his marvelous sovereignty, chooses to not only give the Jewish people a, a victory in this battle, by the time it actually comes to full engagement, there are almost a thousand Syrian tanks in, in this particular area. It's a very small valley called the Beka Valley. You have the Israelis on one side, trusting God, driving in reverse, and able to fire on Syrian tanks while they're moving. You have stationary Syrian tanks. By the time it's done, not only did the Jewish people win, but they push to within about 30 miles of Damascus. So they push 35 miles into what is today modern-day Syria. Mind-boggling because God told them, don't make peace. Well, what they had done is they had made peace. They had actually allowed the Syrians to mass an army in that valley. What ended up happening was God had to show them again Look, I meant what I said the first time. They don't mean you well. They mean you harm. If you travel today, which when we go to the Golan Heights, we go to all kinds of areas like this where there are signs everywhere. Do not go in there. It's still an active minefield. It's a dangerous place. It remains a dangerous place. In fact, uh, there's a picture of Pastor Rob and Mark, one of our board members, on top of an Israeli centurion tank still left in the battlefield with the Syrian tanks in the background. And the reason this is important is what God said was, these guys mean you harm. They still mean you harm. How many times do you see in the papers today, in the news today, that there has been some type of military action where Israel has flown a sortie and flown to that particular location just over the border and ended up fighting the same exact group of people once again. It happens almost monthly. And in fact, when we're there, there is a Syrian air base. That's the Syrian border. That's the tank ditches from the Oz battle. That is the minefield. And where that picture is taken from is about where that tank was, which is in the Golan Heights, which is where Israel finally won this tank battle that that allowed them to keep that territory. If they give up that territory, that territory is the high ground that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. God said, don't do it. But they did it. They kept trying to make peace, kept trying to listen to the world instead of listening to God. God said, don't do it. The world says, oh, you need to give them more land. Every time Israel has given up land, it's resulted in war. Throughout their history. In the, as they've been back in the land. Notice the next group, because it's a rather interesting group, and it is, in fact, those who are in Gaza. 
Thus says the Lord, verse 6, for the transgressions of Gaza. Now, that's the same exact Gaza as you hear about in the news today, the Gaza Strip. It's the home of the Philistines. It was known as Gath. And for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they took captive the whole captivity. Ultimately, the Philistines were trying to conquer all of Israel. They wanted to take everyone. And because they took captive the whole captivity, I will deliver them up to Edom. Edom is modern-day Jordan. It's interesting, another example of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. I will cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod, from the one who holds the scepter of Ashkelon, these are cities that still exist in the region today. I will turn my hand on Ekron, and against the remnant of the Philistines, they shall perish. There are five Philistine cities that are mentioned here. They all still exist in some form or fashion. Only one of them is actually in antiquity and is an archaeological site. But for the most part, along with this area which is just to the south, if you look at the coastal section of Israel where it sits on the Mediterranean Sea, on one end you have Gaza, just below that is Egypt, and just to the north on the other end of the nation of Israel is Lebanon. And so these are the nations that God said, look, they're not playing fair. They have evil intent. And so we talk about this region loosely as being Palestine. It was actually named Palestine. Really, the name stuck under Emperor Hadrian. So the Romans named it Palestine. But there, there is no such thing as a Palestinian people. The name actually means wanderer. It really could be translated Bedouin, which the Bedou still live in that region to this day. But there are people of all kinds of different ethnic descent. Some of them are Arab. Some of them are half Jewish and half Arab. Some of them are Egyptian. Some of them are simply wanderers from the region. They could be from up in the north, Turkish. But there were all these people that gathered together, so they kind of clustered in this little region. That was the same reason that the Philistines were there. It's a coastal port city. It enabled them to make uh, sorties down the Mediterranean from there. And so this became a, a home uh, for the Philistines. The Jewish people allowed the Philistines to be there. They're the ones who's like, well, they're giants. They're huge. We'll just leave them alone. They'll leave us alone. That has not worked out really well. It still doesn't work out really well. If you look at the nation Israel, about three and a half million. Now, bear in mind, there's only about nine and a half million Israelis in the whole country. About three and a half million of them live within rocket range from someplace either in the West Bank or in Gaza, and specifically the Gaza Strip. As you look at this region, there have been over 12,000, almost 13,000 rockets launched from the Gaza Strip into Israel. Those rockets often land within the suburbs of Jerusalem. There have been countless Israelis maimed, schools, businesses, all kinds of stuff blown to bits. If you do the math, since this started happening, it averages a little over three a day, every day of the year, around the clock. God said, be careful about those that dwell in Gaza, because they mean you ill intent. 
And ever since Israel gave up the Gaza Strip to the PLO in 2005, this is what they've lived with. It's a very dangerous situation. And it's not any better on the northern border. That's the southern border. The northern border has Lebanon and Syria on it. And so these are the peoples that somehow, through God speaking to Amos, God says, look, you need to be very, very careful about the world around you. Interesting how this all stacks up. Because if you think about it, now I don't know how many of you have ever you know, been in a situation where there's a possibility that you may be killed on a daily basis, but that's a little bit frightening. It has a tendency to, to cause every moment of every day to have some form of angst in it. Because Israel didn't listen, and because the world pressured, Israel in 2005 gave up the Gaza Strip. They said, we're going to give land for peace. Not only did peace not happen, it's actually become more violent. God said it isn't going to work. So thus says the Lord, actually is still the case with the Gaza Strip, with the ancient people called the Philistines. So every time they launch one of those Fajar 5s or the longer range missiles, a lot of times when we're in Israel, we'll, we'll hear the sirens go off. We'll hear the, the Iron Dome missile system activate. We'll see them get shot down. That's their reality. God said it. It's still the truth. It's still what goes on in the region. Notice the next group, which is Tyre or modern day Lebanon. And again, remember what I said. This isn't to pick on any particular group. There are wonderful people in every one of these nations and they want peace. They're not actively engaged in war. There are people in the Gaza Strip who are innocent and there are Israelis who are warmongers. So let me make that really clear. Nobody's innocent in all of this. But God made a statement and he did so through the prophet Amos and these things are still working out exactly as God said they would. Thus says the Lord, verse nine, for three transgressions tire and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity of Edom and did not remember the covenant of the brotherhood. These guys are ethnically brothers. They're actually related to one another. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. You remember the fertilizer explosion that happened in Beirut? That's Lebanon. And very close to the northern border of Israel. Just north of Haifa. Matter of fact, the shockwave could be felt in Haifa, in Israel. And so as you look at this nation, which is on the northern border, Connie and I have had the privilege of traveling directly right up to the border. Right to the, these, these cities to where on one side are the Israelis and the other side are the Lebanese. Where we have had cross-border wars since... In 1998, there's been fairly active fighting in that region. God said, I'm going to punish them. If you look at the economies of these nations, one of the things that's striking to you, one of the things that, that it boggles your mind when you travel, is Israel is a very modern, extremely well-equipped, well-infrastructured, has everything you can imagine, 
including bullet trains, the whole thing. Modern military, travel to Gaza Strip, not so much. Travel, travel to southern Lebanon, not so much. Travel to Syria, not so much. Travel to Jordan, not so much. These areas are impoverished. God said, I'm going to punish them for what they've done. And if you look, you can still see the remnants of that. If you're in northern, the northern portion of, of Israel where we normally go, Tel Dan sits literally on the border. The border fence with Lebanon is about 300 yards away. And you look, in Israel it's green. It's a verdant farming area. They produce all kinds of fruit and crops in that region. It's well watered. You go one mile to the north. It's dead. It's brown. The cities look miserable. Hmm. God said, I'm going to punish them. For the way they treated the Jewish people. That punishment's still going on. I've seen it with my own eyes. Amos shifts and, and gets a little closer to home. You see, Israel used to have very friendly relations. The king of, of Tyre and, and also Sidon, King Hiram, was, was actually an ally to David. But something happened. That sense that they were co-laboring in a common accord went away. And in fact, the, the Phoenicians were quite friendly. They were traders. And so very often the goods that were grown in the land of Canaan were put on Phoenician ships and they would sail down the Mediterranean and those, everybody profited from it. But there was a time, as, as Amos foretells here, that Tyre would be burned. And it was. The city of Tyre rested out on a peninsula and that city has been destroyed. There's actually a causeway that Alexander the Great uh, managed to actually build out into this little island peninsula and destroyed the city of Tyre. And to this day, these people are under an oppressive leadership. The Christians have been largely driven underground. The Jewish people aren't welcome. And you've had nothing but border wars. It's mind-boggling. There was an incident that happened in 2007. This is how tense it is in the region where some Israeli soldiers were trimming a tree that was blocking their view of the border. And their officer that was in that detachment was shot by a sniper and killed. The Israelis returned fire. And before you know it, eight or ten people are dead because they trimmed a tree. That's how much animosity still exists on that border. Amos saw it. He said, this is, this is the way this is going to work in this region. And it's not going to get better until Jesus solves the problem. There's going to be tension. There's going to be friction. And again, I want to be very careful. There are wonderful Lebanese people who love the Lord. Both sides have, have victims, if you want to look at it that way. This is not about preferring just a, a simple group of people because, you know, uh, of, of a biblical mandate. This is, this is what the consequences of sin are. This is what happens. When you go down a road that far, then eventually all of those things that God has said come to roost in your life. 
It was true for Israel. It's true for us today. And so here you have this situation that now exists in the world where as you look at these people, they do not know what to do. And in fact, it's so tense in northern Israel, when you pull a building permit, you have to build into your home a safe room that is bombproof. It needs to be able to take a 500-pound bomb so that your family can survive. Now, can you imagine... You know, you're, you, you live in Pedro and, you know, you go to get, pull your building permits for your house. It's like, well, you know, where's your bomb-proof room going to be? That's kind of a little bit of a tense environment, don't you think? And yet that's normal. That's how everybody lives. Why? Well, God said, if you do this, if you give in, If you live your life this way, if you take up this cause, if you do these things, thus says the Lord. And the consequences are still going on. It's still happening. One at a time, as people come to faith in Christ, here's what happens. They go, that's not what I want. I I don't hate somebody because of the country that they live in there's neither Jew nor Greek there there isn't Gentiles and Jews in that sense there's not men and women there's not rich and poor there's just people who are found in Christ you see Christ broke down that wall but right now that wall still exists why primarily because of the nation Israel rejecting Messiah so now they're still clinging to these old ways and it's produced the same old animosities that it produced 2,800 years ago. Verse 11. Those nations that are considered, just like these border wars exist, there are several more nations in that region, is Egypt, and of course Jordan, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom. Now remember, these are the descendants of Esau. So you have the Edomites descending from Esau and you have the Moabites descending from Lot. So these are people that are genetically Jewish. They're they're actually family in that sense. So here you have the border wars that have occurred. Thus says the Lord, verse 11, for three transgressions of Edom. For four, I will not turn away its punishment. It's punishment. It's punishment. You realize what God's saying. It's like, look, this is the deal. Until you square away this problem, this is what's going to happen. Because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity. Remember what Esau did? That's what he did. He's like, "Ah, I'm not having any of that. His anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send fire on Timon, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. And for thus says the Lord, for three transgressions, the people of Amnon, four. I will will not turn away its punishment, because they ripped open the woman with child at Gilead, that they might enlarge their territory. I will kindle the fire at the wall of Rabbah, that actually is the modern day city of Ammon, Jordan. And shall devour its palaces amid the shouting in the day of battle and the tempest in the day of the whirlwind and their king shall go into captivity and he is and his princes together, says the Lord. So God is in essence pronouncing this judgment 
on these nations that they're going to end up being warlike people that don't know peace. There's just going to be this constant string of battles. And so, again, these people that are actually related to the Jewish people, Edom, he says, look, these are your brothers. These, These people are from your, in essence, they're related to you. And if you remember the wars of Saul and David against Edom, those wars were actually defensive wars. Why? Because there was still the hatred from Esau. It's like, you know, we, we just don't like you. And one of the strange things about the politics of the Middle East is that though these peoples are genetically related one to another, there is still a level of distrust, mistrust, and literally hatred that exists. If you travel to Israel with us, when you go in, now most of you, if you've traveled, you know you go to an international, you go to an international destination. One of the cool things about traveling internationally, at least it used to be, it's getting to where now everything's starting to get done electronically, but they would stamp your passport, right? You, just, you know, you open up the back pages, and there's all these places where you can get your passport stamped in there. Mine, I have had multiple passports in my life. I actually filled one up. I had to send for extra pages, because all the pages that you could get stamped were all stamped on. And so every place you go, every border you cross, here's these things. One of the crazy things, and the reason that when you travel into Israel, they do not stamp your passport, they give you a little card. Because if they stamp your passport and you go to cross the border into any Arab country, there is a good chance that you're going to go through secondary inspection or be denied entry. Because there's something in Hebrew in your passport. Now that's a long-standing bunch of hatred that still exists. It's crazy. If you look at a map of the West Bank, you'll see this kind of, this little squiggly line that goes around the city of Jerusalem. The reason being, East Jerusalem is actually part of the West Bank. The world calls that occupied territories. The Jewish people call it East Jerusalem. It's part of their country. But this is all governed by a coalition of nations that surround them, specifically Jordan. And in fact, the Temple Mount itself is actually ruled by Jordan. The Hashemite kingdom of Jordan actually controls the Temple Mount and East Jerusalem. And in fact, it was the Jordanians that were defeated in the 1967 war As this war breaks out, finally the IDF, the forerunners of it, the Jewish Defense Forces, finally take over Jerusalem. And the day after they take it over, guess what they did? Ariel Sharon gives it back to Jordan. He says, we we want to have peace. Have they had peace? No, they have not had peace. Now they've got a 33-foot-high wall that surrounds most of East Jerusalem, trying to keep suicide bombers from crossing over and blowing people up on buses. God said it. It's exactly the way it is in our world today. You can look at the evidence. Was God correct? God was correct when he spoke, when he said, Thus says the Lord through Amos, it is still the way it is in the Middle East. It's exactly as Amos declared. And so here are these people, we would call them Jordanians. They they live 
in the ancient kingdoms of Ammon and Moab. They had shameful beginnings. You can see that in Genesis chapter 19. But these people chose gods for themselves. And God said, I don't want you to be like them. I want you to come out and be separate, says the Lord. Do you remember that passage? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. When we call ourselves saints, remember I shared with you, I'm actually Saint Jeff of Lomita. And wherever you live, that you're actually a saint. That simply means one who's separated or called out or separated from unto something else. When you use the term saint, that's not like, you know, you don't get your own medal and it goes on a chain. That means that you're one who's separated unto the Lord. The Jewish people were called out of the world and they were separated unto the Lord. Hence their name Israel, which means governed by God. That was the whole point of God calling them into the land. He was calling them to be separated from the world and unto God. That is the exact same principle whereby we have been called out of the world. We are not of this world. We're in this world. We don't worship this world. We worship the Lord. And so God tells them, look, I don't want you to be like these people. Be very careful about your associations with the world. You can look at the Middle East right now and say God was absolutely truthful with the Jewish people through Amos. He said, if you do this, this is what will happen. And it's still happening. That's still what's going on in that region of the world. Amnon, Moab, these these nations which have faded uh, from the history books in that sense are still found in modern-day Syria, in modern-day Lebanon, in modern-day Jordan, in modern-day Egypt. These nations that surround Israel. And so, when God says, thus says the Lord, that's exactly what he means. He means, thus says the Lord. And we ignore those types of warnings at our own peril. We we end up putting ourselves in harm's way. We end up having fights. We're going to be going to the book of James here in the not too distant future. Where do wars come? Do they not come from within you? You see, the Jewish people made a decision to not do what God said. And choosing that path has given them nothing but strife and conflict for almost 3,000 years. Might be a lesson in there for us. If you hear thus says the Lord, that is for you and that is for me to say, thus thy servant Jeff will do. With all your heart. That's the path to victory. It's the path to peace. It's the path to joy. It's the path to blessing. It's the path to prosperity. When God says, thus says the Lord, when we do what he says, that's where our blessings flow from. With obedience comes blessing. With disobedience comes war. It's that simple. It's always been that way. always going to be that way. So the lesson for us, when God says it, just do it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer.
Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for those times when you have re-spoken those words to me when I haven't listened and you've reminded me of thus says the Lord and I've turned and returned and found you with open arms. And Lord, I want to pray if there's anyone here tonight that's just simply struggling with some area where they know what you have said, but they have yet to act on that. God, would you give them strength, power by your spirit to, to flee this world, to run away from those things which you've told them would harm them. And Lord, would we cling to that which is good? How would we exalt the noble things in our lives and look to those things which are heavenly? Our Lord, we're so gracious for your care for us. We, we, we just thank you, God, that we walk in that grace. Uh, we, we, we cling to you because of that grace. And we just thank you, Lord, that you don't cast us out. Lord, you're still at work in the Jewish people. You're working all the Arab peoples. Lord, you're at work in Syria. You're at work in Jordan. Lebanon and Egypt and we pray that you'd call out the lost in all of those nations that you'd speak to the Jewish people and restore them Lord we pray tonight as we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem the peace of Jerusalem is also the peace of Lebanon and the peace of Syria and the peace of Jordan and the peace of Egypt and Gaza and the West Bank and the Golan Heights Lord your peace through the Prince of Peace you Jesus we ask for Lord, help us to be steadfast and immovable. Lord, abounding in those things that are from you. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.